Well, please find your way in God's word to the letter written to the Galatians. We're in chapter 4, still in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1, probably. If you say, well, we were there last week. Well, that's the good news. Your memory's not failing you. If you remember, I talked about how Paul in this letter was making sure that everyone understood the truths that he had taught. And I said, you know, it may have seemed that as if Paul was repeating himself, but he's not. He was showing that what he had taught them while he was with them was the absolute truth. And so he explained it, or he presented the truth in many different ways to make sure that there was no question, no questions left unanswered. In our text last week, Paul took the recipients of this letter back in time. He, he wrote, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. So in order to understand the fullness of time, they had to go back in time. Paul was teaching them, teaching them the truth from a historical point of view. He was showing that this was the plan of God from the beginning. Something I want to point out here, when, when scripture says in the fullness of time, Paul was not talking about it, it was the perfect time for the Messiah to come, meaning the conditions of, on this earth were perfect and ready for the Messiah to come. In the, fullness of in the fullness of time was the perfect time, it was, but it was because God chose that time. Let me explain. You're saying, Rob, you're going off the deep end. I might. You know how my brain works. But listen, if you read about the time when Christ walked on this earth, they, they will say, well, it was the perfect time because the Roman civilization had brought peace. The Romans had built a road system which made travel easy. Perfect time for the Messiah to come. The, the Greek language had been established. And all these things were good, but they were not the reason that it was the perfect time, even though God used that. Think about this. If you were married, riding on a donkey while nine months pregnant, probably was not thinking this is the perfect time. Perfect time may have been an ambulance with independent suspension <laughs> carrying her. You tracking with me? <laughs> but this is how we think because we live in a, a different time. So some might be thinking if Christ had wanted to come to earth at a perfect time, it would be now. He has the internet. He could sit in Jerusalem and reach the whole world. That would be the perfect time. A lot easier to share the gospel. We have cars that have 520 horsepower. You could put five disciples in there and get to Damascus in no time. We can learn many languages, as, you, as many languages as you want, and never leave the house. Easier to communicate. But listen, the point I'm making is God does not operate on man's time. In the fullness of time, that is God's timing, he sent his son. Because God chose that time, it made it the perfect time to send his son. That should give us comfort. That should give us hope, because that tells us that our perfect holy, glorious, gracious God is in full control of everything. And, and, and everything, I mean everything is operating on his timetable. And his actions and timing are perfect. So never doubt God and his timing. You know, a lot of times you hear people say, I wish he'd come back now. Why doesn't Jesus come back now? Just trust, he knows what he's doing. He's God, he's got it. 
In the fullness of time, the gospel came to a little town of Bethlehem. And the message of God and salvation has reached a little town in America called Youngsville some 2,000 years later. A perfect plan carried out at a perfect time. Amen? There's going to be another fullness of time. That's when Christ will return. And that will be in God's perfect chosen time. There's nothing man has to do to, to make it, quote, the perfect time for God's return. There's no roads that need to be built. There are no languages that have to be learned. In Paul's letter, he wrote as if Jesus could come back at any moment, and he can. So we have to do a self-examination. Are we looking forward to that perfect moment? Because it's coming. Are we looking forward to the return of Christ? Are you ready? Or do you think man has to do something, that he has to, man has to prepare the way for the Lord? It doesn't have to happen. I want to tell you, you better get ready because nothing has to happen in order for Jesus to come back. In your heart, ask yourself, are you excited about the return of Christ? Or are you in fear? If you're in fear of his return, let's talk. Let's talk right now. <laughs> we'll go outside. Pastor, Ryan, Pastor Jared, they can take my notes. That's how important it is. That's how important that decision is. Are you in fear of God or are you excited about his return? We should be looking forward to the moment when we see Christ and we will be like him. That should excite us. So there is another fullness of time, moment coming, and it can happen at any moment. And when it does, it will be the perfect time. Amen? Now, back to our text. We're going to put that rabbit back in the hat. I used to say shoot that rabbit, but the kids didn't like that. So we're going to put the bunny back in the hat. All right? Back to our text. We have seen that the Jewish believers were told that they were no longer under the law, no, no longer a slave to the law. The Gentile believers were, were never under the, under the law. They have been told that they do not have to keep the law to become part of the family of God. They were, like all believers, brought into the family of God by what Christ had done and by faith. That's our identifier. Because of the victory of, in Christ, there is no one is, was a slave to the law, and most of all, no one is a slave to sin. Everyone has been set free meaning any person who has put their faith in Christ is no longer under the power of sin. Sin does not control us anymore. We all have been set free and have become sons of God, as we saw last week. We are one big, happy family, right? Okay, thank you. Thanks. And we're going to look at what it actually means to be a son of God or an heir to God. And as we do this, we will see the work of the Holy Spirit and praise him with all our hearts, minds, souls, and strength. So I look back. Let's just, we're going to read through this again. You're going to say, we just, we just read that. Good. We'll read it again. Verse 23, chapter 3. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith, but now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. That's a big deal. 
When Christ came, it changed everything. In the fullness of time, when Christ came, it changed everything. Let's continue verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is, un he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then the heir through God, then an heir through God. I want to show the contrast between someone who's enslaved and someone who had become sons and daughters of God. In Judaism, Judaism is a slave to the law, and it was physical. It was external and temporal. Christianity, one who is now a son of God, is spiritual, internal, and permanent. Servants have masters, while sons and daughters have fathers. Servants obey out, of, obey out of law and fear, while sons and daughters obey out of liberty and love. Servants have no inheritance, while sons and daughters can expect to inherit it all. That's a big change. Everything changed in the fullness of time. All believers have been adopted into the family of God. We are of the kingdom of God. We are sons, that is, children of God. We have an intimate relationship with God. I love reading verse 6, because you are sons. God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Because of the spirit that now dwells in us, we call the Father Abba, which means daddy. It, it makes it personal now. Something that is so beautiful right here that I want to point out, that in the fullness of time, we see the entire Trinity was at work at that time. God the Father sent the Son to die for us. And God the Son sent his spirit to live in us. The entire trinity was involved in the promise that God had set forth in Genesis 3:15, right down to the spirit coming to live in our hearts. So let's talk about the spirit for a moment. The spirit reveals truth to us. Part of that truth is understanding what Christ had done when he came to this earth. Part of that truth is understanding that we are all adopted into the kingdom of God. Part of the truth is understanding that we have a God that loves us. Understanding that we can call God the Father, Papa. The Spirit is such an amazing gift from God. I think sometimes we take him for granted. But today we're going to stop and see what the Spirit does and how much he is involved in our lives. He does more than we think about. He really does. Because of the Spirit... We as sons now have the same nature as the father. Something we did not get 
that we did not have when we were servants. When we trust in Christ, the Spirit comes to live inside of us, and that means that we are, quote, partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. Write this verse in your margin, 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he was granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. You know, this just confirms everything that Paul is talking about here in Galatians. Where does the knowledge of God come from? Only from the Holy Spirit that was sent by Jesus. The law could never give a person God's nature within. The law couldn't do that. All the law could do was reveal to that person his desperate need for God's nature. So when the, when the believer goes back to the law, what he is doing is he is de he's denying the very divine nature of God within him. He's denying what Christ had done. He's denying the Holy Spirit. And he's giving that old nature an opportunity to take over. He's going back to being a servant, a slave again. He's giving that old nature an opportunity to rule again. We must trust in the spirit. We must be sensitive to the spirit at all times. It is the spirit that changes everything about us. And it begins by giving us a divine nature, not a sinful nature. The son obeys out of love while the servant obeys out of fear. The difference is the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes in, takes up residence in the heart of a believer. He then quickens and increases that person's love for God. I hope you have big margins in your Bible today. Write this one down, Romans 5, 1 through 5. What's the best commentary of the Bible? Amen. 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Here we go, listen. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Did you see that? Because of God's love, which has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, we now have a love for God Almighty. And, that, and we are now able to obey God out of love. Paul tells us in the next chapter here in Galatians 5.22, the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which then produces the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, love for God and love for others. That's how it works. 
but the Galatians were told by the confused teachers that they would become better Christians by submitting to the law. But as we see, the law can never produce obedience. It can never produce the love of God. Only the Spirit of God can do that. Parents, can I get a witness? Hear me out. You can set up all these rules around your house for your children to obey. And if your children do not obey them out of love, it will be a constant struggle. But when love sets in, when they, when they obey out of love, it changes the whole dynamic of the home, does it not? Same thing with us. Same thing with us and God. Now that we have the spirit of God in us, we are able to be obedient out of love. It changes everything. No longer do we question God every time he tells us to do or not to do something because we understand how great his love is for us. His love that has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit, ending in obedience because we understand that God wants best for his children. Amen? Only God can do that. Only the Spirit can do that. And that's why Jesus says in John 14, 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will do what I have told you to do. The sons of God obeys out of love while the servant obeys out of fear. The sons of God also have a future where the servant does not. As sons of God, we are promised a future because of the spirit in us. We know that there is more to come. We don't just live, collect toys, and die. We know in our hearts there's more to come. Write this verse in your margins there by the word adoption, Romans 8, 19 through 15. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And we talked about last week about us becoming the children of God, being adopted in to the, uh, to the family of God. But we know there's more. We know there's more. There's a future for the adopted children of God. We have the spirit in us, and that's why we groan where? We groan inwardly. Our heart aches as we wait eagerly, but we wait patiently for the redemption of our bodies. Oh, what a day that will be. Amen. Thank you. Not 
Listen, not, not, not that it's going to be a glorious day just because these bodies get old and worn out and we get a new one. That, that's a great reward. I, I can't wait for that day. I was wondering what I'd do. What's the first thing I'd do with a glorified body? We won't go there. Listen, but when Christ returns, not only will we have a glorified body, but the scripture tells us that at that moment, we shall be like him. 1 John 3. That right there is what the ones who love God are looking so forward to. We will be like him. That's the blessing. That's the blessing. A resurrected, glorified body is just gravy on that biscuit. The blessing is being with him and being like him. As sons and daughters of God, we know there is a future. We know that this is not all there is to life. We know that there's life after death. And that's why we groan inwardly. That's where the Spirit is. He is in us, guiding and directing us to the future resurrection. So as we, as we think about the future and what it holds, it, it cannot be done without the Spirit of God in us. The Spirit of God gives us the assurance of the future and the strength to run the good race all the way to the end. That's, that's why I love the hymn that says, Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. I love it. That's why we named this church Living Hope. It's because we know that there is a glorious future for the sons and daughters of God. We say it every Sunday. Chris just said it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope because we know that there is a future for the sons of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We have been purchased by Christ. We are indwelt by the Spirit. We are waiting on the resurrection. And when that happens, we shall be like him. So the son obeys out of love while the servant obeys out of fear. The son also has a future where the servant does not. Now here comes some more gravy for that biscuit. The son is rich while the servant is poor. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are both sons and heirs. Now, not only do I want you to write this verse in your margins, but I want you to turn there. I want you to turn to Ephesians 1, verse 3. A couple pages to the right. I want you to see this. 1-3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, now think about this. That, that's a done deal. That's done. We are blessed right now. That means that we 
receive a part of our inheritance as soon as we become a member of the kingdom of God. We, we, we are receiving part of our inheritance now, which is a little different than the way we do it in today's time. Usually, when you're an heir, kids, you don't get the inheritance until the one holding the inheritance dies. And the reason we do it that way is to make sure that our kids come and visit us <laughs> and take care of us and treat us with love when we get old. We use it as a tool, a training tool. I'll take you out of my wheel, boy. Better do right. Don't miss this, though. Christ has died. And he has risen. But because of the death and resurrection and victory of Jesus, we are able to begin drawing on our inheritance right now. Is that not amazing? We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We don't have to wait. As heirs, we are already receiving part of our inheritance. In love, look at verse 5. Look at these precious words. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of, of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan look at it verse 10 as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth his love that he has lavished upon us, his spirit that has come in us gives us all wisdom and insight, and that's why we understand that in the fullness of time, Christ came. Are those not some of the most beautiful words you can read and hear? We know about the fullness of time, right? We've studied that. We know that paradise was regained. Humanity was brought out of exile. The word says as a plan for the fullness of time. We understand that plan. It was to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That is, fellowship is restored between God and man. Jesus conquered death in the fullness of time. Jesus conquered Satan in the fullness of time. And by doing so, he set mankind free to become sons of God, united as God as planned from the beginning. And we are when we are united with God, we become heirs. In him, verse 11, let's continue. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised what? Promised Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Amen. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The one who has opened our eyes, who has opened our ears, who has opened our hearts to the truth, he is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. We, we are blessed now, like I said, and we are beginning to draw from our inheritance. But there is a day coming when we will take full possession of it all. Oh, what a day that will be. You know, as Paul writes this letter to the churches in Galatia, they, they clearly understood what it meant to be a son. The family was important to them. They clearly understood what was involved when it came to an inheritance being passed on. So these words are definitely making them think about the finished work of Christ. It's definitely making them think about sons and heirs. Sons and heirs were, were, were part of the fabric of their community. Paul hits these truths, like I said, from every angle. He's making them search the truth. He's making them think about what God has done. I want to go back to 1 Peter again. 1 Peter 1.3. Again, another text that brings light to our text here in Galatians. We know this part. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4. In it, to an inheritance. There it is again. What does Peter tell us about this inheritance? That it is imperishable undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last times we have a guaranteed inheritance my kids my inheritance not guaranteed I don't know what I may end up doing with that your inheritance is not guaranteed We have a guaranteed inheritance, and, and nothing is going to happen to it. This one's in heaven. It's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It's kept in heaven. I'm pretty sure no one's going to take it. It's being guarded by God's power, completely safe. Our inheritance as sons of God is in the new covenant and that means we will receive a promised eternal inheritance that is eternal life with God in heaven we can be certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that as sons we will receive our inheritance guaranteed by the Holy Spirit 2nd Corinthians 4 16 through 18 really puts this in perspective so we do not lose heart Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For the light momentary afflictions is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. All comparison, I mean. Comprehension, too. I don't get it. We can only imagine, right? 
beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. The things that are seen are transit, but the things that are unseen are eternal. As sons of God, we are heirs, and we understand and value the glory that awaits us. We are able to endure whatever comes our way in life because of the living hope we have in our hearts. We can give God praise even during the trials because we have his guarantee that we will receive all that he has promised. God fulfills all of his promises. Amen? So the son obeys out of love while the servant obeys out of fear. The son has a future where the servant does not. The son is rich while the servant is poor. The inheritance of eternal life with God is reserved for those who hear the truth, who believe in Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit. The benefits of an inheritance in Christ begin for a person when they accept Christ as God's son who gave his life for, their, for theirs, then rose to life again. The Holy Spirit is granted to that person as a deposit, a down payment. He is a promise of the coming eternal life with God in heaven. So Paul tells the Galatians, if you're a son, then you're not a slave. If a son, then you're an heir. Paul taught the Galatians the truth that Jesus came to set us free. To go back to the law is to undo the very work of Christ on the cross. Jesus did not purchase us to make us slaves, but to make us sons, he says. The Galatians were giving up the power of the gospel for the weakness of the law. They were giving up the wealth of the gospel for the poverty of the law. No wonder Paul weeps over these believers as he sees them abandoned liberty for bondage. They abandoned power for weakness, abandoned wealth for poverty. Under the law, the Jews were mere children, it says. But under grace, the believer is a son of God with an adult standing in God's family. And to his family, God gives a brief but beautiful description of our inheritance. Revelation 21, 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things have passed away. God and man will dwell together. Everything will be made new. The bejeweled city, the new Jerusalem will be our residence. The river of life will run from God's throne. The healing tree of life with 12 kinds of fruit will grow there too. There will be no night there because the eternal light of the Lamb of God will fill the new heaven and the new earth and shine upon all the heirs of God. That's why we're able to sing, you know, turn your eyes upon Jesus, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim. Everything changed in the fullness of time. Everything changed when God sent his son. Everything changes when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart. There's going to be another fullness of time, like I said, another fullness of time moment. Christ is coming again. He is coming for his family. Are you ready? 
Do you know that you know that you are a child of God? Do you know that you know that you are his son? And if a son, then an heir, and there's an inheritance that awaits. Pastor Derek. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Um, 